Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to those who are here. Welcome those who are joining us online. Um, I'm going to invite you to follow along with us on uh, either on the outline. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand. If you're going to do it digitally, we have joined the 21st century. We have these little cards in your pocket. You can just scan your little smartphone on it, and it will pop up to, to the lesson for today. If you have a dumb phone, you have to do the old way. Right. We're in a series that we've entitled Focus on the Family, Focus on the Family, and it's really based on two scriptures, two scriptures. The first one is John 10.10, 10, in the message, reading it from the message. It says, a thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I came that they, they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of, a more and better life than they ever dreamed of. And so that applies to all of us. If things are bad, how many know with God's help, things can get better? Amen? And if things are good, there's always room for improvement with God's help. And the second verse that we've been kind of uh, using is Romans 12, 18. It says, do everything possible, help me out somebody, on your part to live in peace with everyone. Do everything possible on your part to live in peace with everyone. Now let me ask you something. Does everyone include your neighbors? Does everyone include your friends? Then certainly it includes your family, right? The people in your own household. And what is he asking us to do? Say, just do your part. Turn to someone and say, just do your part. Just do your part. Play your role in spite of what society is telling us. There are roles, specific roles that God has given us to play. And so far we've talked about the need for all of us to answer the general role call. If you missed that message, go back and listen to it. In other words, to stop being a wall as it relates to our families and our communities. In the last two weeks we've talked about the parental role and specifically last week we talked about the mama's role as we focused on the eight characteristics, the eight characteristics of the Proverb 31 woman. Now, arguably, she's the gold standard of what we should ascribe to, and I, and I, and I hope I made it clear in that, in that message that it's not perfection that we're going for. It's what? Say direction. It's not perfection because nobody's perfect. I don't know anyone who's perfect, but we can always... I strive to move in a better direction. Amen? Amen? Even if it's baby steps. Now, again, go back and listen to those messages when you get a chance. Today, we're going to turn the corner. And since we picked on the ladies last week, where my dad's at, where my men at, I said, hoo-ah! My men are in the house. The fathers are in the house. Guess what? We all got a role to play, even us men. And we can all, even as men, do better. Now, as I thought about this message and what I believe the Lord will have me share, I thought, I thought of the responsibilities of being a, a, a good father, a good husband, and, and, and consequently the abdicating of those roles and responsibilities, what, what things will look like. Uh, 
Now, for those who don't know me, many of you know me, but some of you don't know me. I have four uh, adult children. Uh, two, uh, one's in the house today. Uh, and and uh, my wife and I, Deborah and I, we raised uh, two boys and two girls. Now, I'm not going to lie, having, having grown up in a house with just brothers, uh, I just had brothers, I have to admit that the, the girls were a little bit more challenging because they were less familiar to me in terms of raising them, especially as it relates to as they got a little older, the whole deal of dating, the whole scene, and laying down you know, what, what uh, would be responsible yet not stifling rules in terms of dating. A few years ago, I came across a list that was written by Bruce Cameron. I shared this before, but it, it kind of closely relates or reflects my thoughts and feelings on the whole issue of, you know, dating and, and my daughter and, and, and how I feel about the situation. He had eight simple rules for dating. I want you to listen to this. He said, rule number one, if you pull up into my driveway and honk, you'd better be delivering a package because you're sure not picking up anything. Rule number two, you do not touch my daughter in front of me. You may glance at her so long as you do not pair at anything below her neck. If you cannot keep your eyes or hands off my daughter's body, I will remove them. Rule three, I'm aware that it is considered fashionable for boys of your age to wear their trousers so loosely that they appear to be falling off their hips. Please don't take this as an insult, but you and all your friends are complete idiots. Still, I want to be fair and open-minded about this issue, so I propose a compromise. You may come to the door with your underwear showing and your pants 10 sizes too big, and I will not object. However, in order to ensure that your clothes do not come off at some time during the course of your date with my daughter, I will take my electric nail gun and fasten your trousers securely in place to your waist. Rule number four. It is usually understood that in order for us to get to know each other, we should talk about sports, politics, and other issues of the day. Please don't do this. Please do not do this. The only information I require from you is an indication of when you expect to have my daughter safely back at my house, and the only word I need from you on this subject is early. Rule five. I have no doubt you are, pop, you are a popular fellow with many opportunities to date other girls. This is fine with me as long as it's okay with my daughter. Otherwise, once you've gone out with my little girl, you will continue to date no one but her until she is finished with you. If you make her cry, I will make you cry. Rule six, the following places are not appropriate for a date with my daughter. Places where there are beds, sofas, or anything softer than a wooden stool. Places where there are no parents, policemen, or nuns within eyesight. Places where there is darkness. Places where there is dancing, holding hands, or happiness. Places where the ambient temperature is warm enough to induce my daughter to wear shorts, tank tops, midriff, t-shirts, or anything other than overalls, a sweater, a gooseneck down parker, zipped up to her throat. <laughs> Movies with a strong romantic or sexual theme ought to be avoided. Movies with features, chainsaws are okay. Hockey games are okay also. Old folks' homes are better. Rule seven, do not lie to me. I may, be, I may appear to be a pot-bellied, bawling, middle-aged, dim-witted has-been, but on issues relating to my daughter, I am the all-knowing, merciless God of your universe. If I ask you where you're going and with whom you have, one, you have one chance to tell me the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, I have a shotgun, a shovel, and five acres behind the house. Do not trifle with me. And then rule number eight, be afraid. 
be very afraid. It takes very little for me to mistake the sound of your car on the driveway for a chopper coming in over a rice paddy near Hanoi. When my agent aunt starts acting up, the voices in my head frequently tell me to clean the guns as I wait for you to bring my daughter home. And as soon as you pull into the driveway, you should exit your car with both hands in plain sight, speak the parameter password, announce in a clear voice that you have brought my daughter home safely and clearly, then return to your car. There's no need for you to come inside. The camouflage face at the window is mine. <laughs> That's funny. Now, let me give you one more. I had one, one more for my daughters as they were growing up. I, I, would, I would tell them, you tell, you, you tell your date, let them know that your dad is a pastor, but he hasn't always been. <laughs> and if you do something to my daughter, I'll just go ask forgiveness afterwards. <laughs> we should be protectors, amen? Particularly of those little ones that God has given us. Now, in the heart of every parent lies that desire to protect their children, regardless of what they think. And unfortunately, that type of parenting is often ridiculed and is denigrated in society today. It's not looked on, it's frowned on you. It's not looked on positively. Now, you got people who think it's more important to be your kids' friends than their parents, and consequently they avoid confrontation and, 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 that might even, and, and, um, and, and they don't want to, you know, to have any conflicts with their children. When they, when my kids, they don't want to insist that their kids go to church, um, even if they're nine years old, living in the house. They want them to come to their own conclusions. Pastor Rick, I want them to, to, to j j just, if they decide to follow God, that's okay. And, and to which I was, my response is always, so when those little darlings come home dressed all in black, listening to some kind of strange music that you've never heard before with piercings coming out of every orifice of their bodies and a boyfriend named Bo Diddley who's on the six-year plan in high school, who's majoring in partying and going nowhere quick and dragging your little darling down with him, or worse, today, you can't even tell if it's a dude or not. <laughs> I'm just saying, you, if that's your mindset because you want to be their friend and not their parent, you will have the satisfaction of saying it was their decision. Or even worse, when this guy comes home and or he's, he's a drinker, and so now your little angel does the same thing, and you conclude you're going to buy the beer and the alcohol so that their friends can come to your house to party in a safe environment, or, uh, a se or, or, or you're okay with them becoming sexually active at 14, 15 years old, and you want to be that cool mom or dad, so rather than saying not just no, but heck no, you hand them a box of prophylactics and say, it's safe, go ahead. I've got one word for parents like that. Moron. Dead from the neck up. That's my thoughts on that. Listen to me, folks. There is an all-out attack on common sense today. And what's good is now considered bad. What's bad is now considered good. And as people, especially parents, can't seem to tell the difference. And the ones who are suffering, the ones who are suffering is this next generation of children. And as a society, we're, we're falling for it hook, line, 
and sinker. I've been saying this for years. Traditional family roles have been falling apart in spite, in spite of what the Bible says. In fact, they're trying to morph us all into a genderless society. I don't know if you noticed that. No males, no females. Guys can be girls. Girls can be guys. Depending on how you feel. Where you're born. If you were born a healthy male, father of four, five kids, you can still make the cover of, <laughs> of People's Magazine as Woman of the Year. And since then, it's gotten worse, which just kind of feeds into the myth that the father relationship doesn't matter. And usually about now, I, I start rolling out the statistics concerning the percentage of children who end up on drugs in fatherless homes, the percentage of children who end up dropping out of school in fatherless, fatherless homes, and the percentage of children who end up in prison in fatherless homes. But there's really only one statistic that matters, and this is it. In the beginning, God created the male and female. Come on, somebody. And he created a role for the man and the wife, if we care to listen to it. And as dads, just like with Adam, where are my men at? As dads, as fathers, just like as men, God's going to hold you more responsible as he's given you greater authority and anointing to lead, your house, to lead your house. Now, we see this in the, what I call the 40-90 rule. I've shared this before. The 40-90 rule states that when a woman comes to the Lord, when a mother comes to the Lord, when a wife comes to the Lord, 40% of the t times, the family will follow. That's pretty decent. When she gets saved, 40% of the times, the family will follow. When the man comes to the Lord, 90% of the times, the family will follow. Tell me you don't have influence, man. You have influence. Come on, somebody. Men, they're watching us, and they need us to be men. And not just men, but men of God. Amen? And this is what the Word of God says in 1 Thessalonians 2. The apostles. He says, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you had become so dear to us, surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to, to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. This is the apostle, the apostles writing a letter to the Thessalonian church. He says, you are witnesses, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how, how holy, righteous, and blameless we, we were among you who believed for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live the lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. Again, this is Apostle Paul writing a letter to the Thessalonican church, one that he considered were his spiritual children. Before he got there and started preaching the gospel, there was no church. And then they started getting saved and started giving their lives to Jesus and a church sprung up and he considered them their the spiritual, his spiritual children and he's giving them advice. And in, and in this text, 
he outlined six biblical expectations that we as men and fathers should be doing as it relates to our families. And I want the ladies to listen in as well to hold us accountable. And he likens it unto the treatment of the church to the way the mother and the father show care to their children without harshness or rudeness or abuse, but with gentle, loving care. Proverbs 15.1 says this, the first thing that we want to do is to be gentle. Write this down. Be gentle. But we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her children. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. You've heard the expression, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Remember last week we said, uh, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never hurt hurt me. And we said that's nonsense because sticks and stones could break your bones and words could break your spirit. Well, this is one of those isms that also is not true. Because it's not, you've, you, um, it's not what you hear or, or how you say it. It's both. It's not either or. It's both. It's what you say and how you say it that matters. Amen? Amen? Why? Because some of us men, as it relates to our children, don't raise your hand, but when we speak, we're dripping with sarcasm. When we speak, we're dripping with contempt. When they don't do something exactly the way we think they should, there might even be anger in our voices and in our intonations toward them. And all throughout the scripture, it warns us that the tongue has the ability, especially for us dads, remember the 90%, the tongue has the ability to, to, to tear down and to speak or to speak life, to, 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 to bring death into a situation or to bring life into a situation. Tear down or to build up to bring death or life into a situation. And Jesus said he came that we might have, help me somebody, life and that life to the fullest. That was his mission and that should be ours as well. One of the goals that we should be practicing is to be gentle. Number two, be expressive. Be expressive. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, we loved you so much. Now, Paul is telling his spiritual children in the Lord that he loves them, and he's not leaving it to them to assume it, expecting them to kind of read his mind or to jump to the conclusion simply by watching their actions. Although actions matter, he thought it was important enough to let them know he loved them. And I'm telling you, dads, don't assume, don't assume that your significant other one just knows uh, growing up, I would tell my kids all the time, my wife and I would tell them all the time that we love them. Even to this day, that we love them. We, 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 even if we had disagreements or arguments, why? Because we want them to know that they are loved. Now, this is a tough area for a lot of guys in, in, in expressing love. Many men are what they call expressionally challenged in this area. It just doesn't come naturally to them. And in fact, I'm convinced that it's the reason why the Bible has to specifically tell the men, men, love your wives. 
It specifically says that. Love your wives. And so it doesn't leave it to the imagination of what love is because Hollywood has its definition, which lasts for about five or ten minutes. I love you today, but I don't love you tomorrow. I love you until you fulfill all my needs. The scripture is specific. It says love is patient and kind and it's rude and doesn't keep records of wrong. It tells us how we're to love our wives. The Bible almost never tells wives to love their husbands. Never. Because intuitively they, they just do it. You know what it tells the wives? Help me out, somebody. It says respect your husbands. Why does the, why does the Bible tell the wife to respect the husband? And the husband to love the wife. Because love doesn't come naturally for the fella in terms of showing it. And respect doesn't come naturally for the... I respect him when he earns my respect. No, it doesn't say that. You added that part. That's why you're having problems in your marriage now. It asks us to do these things as unto the Lord. And again, that doesn't, say, that doesn't mean that men don't love. They just don't express it as often as they should. Now, that's especially true of father and children relationships. It doesn't usually come easy for us. But it's very important. Probably our best example of the fatherhood is our heavenly father. Amen? And the best story to show that is the story of the prodigal son in the Bible. He was like a lot of us. He thought he knew better than his parents and had it all figured out. I used to tell my kids, I've forgotten more than you guys know at this point. But you, you know the story. The son goes off into a far country and he squanders all his inheritance. And when he runs out of money, he runs out of friends. And at the end, at the end he ends up in this pig pen and he's eating from the slop that is fed to the pigs. Probably the most humiliating place a Jewish boy could end up. And he sits there, and the Bible says as he's sitting there and he's starving and he's eating the husk from the pigs, the Bible says he comes to himself. He has an aha moment. This is what he says. He starts thinking, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. Now notice something important. In that moment, he felt like he could go back to his father. Why? Because the relationship, the relationship, you know, might have changed and shifted, but he knew that, that that relationship was still there. He knew the door was still open. Even though he had dissed his dad, squandered everything he had, he knew the door was still open. I'm talking to someone out there today. Because the question is, how do you know that? And I think he knew it because all through the time that his father raised him, I think he heard the word, son, I love you. I love you. No matter how far you go, you can always come back home again. So he said, I'm, I, I, I will say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And as he's walking home from the pig pen, he's rehearsing this. Oh, this is what I'm going to tell my dad. I'm not worthy of being your son. Just make me one of your hired men. And before he can blurt it out, as his father sees him off in the distance, his father starts to run toward him. And his father, before he can say anything, throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Side note. 
He had no fear of expressing his love, did he? I know for me, they hear the words, my kids, they hear those words, I love you a lot, pretty much every time we see them. But you know, so you know what I do? I give them a hug and I give them a kiss. I want them to know that I love them. Why? Because I don't want them to ever go through life questioning whether that love is there. I want them to know it. Now, why do I say that? Because I grew up in a relationship with my dad. When my dad uh, divorced my mom, he divorced his children. And I can't recall ever hearing those words. I love you. I'm, I'm sure he must have said it, but I don't recall ever hearing it. That's sad. And I know I never heard it from my stepfather. You understand what I'm saying? But it's important for your children to hear it. He doesn't write off his son. He leaves the door open. And that's how God treats us in the same way, amen? Like the prodigal son, even when we mess up, he doesn't write us off. He leaves the door open. And if we repent and we come home, his arms and doors are always open to us. Men, we need to learn to express our love to our family, especially to our kids. Let me give you number three. Be transparent. Paul goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians 2, we loved you so much that we delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Our lives as well. Now notice that there's a connection between the gospel, the good news of the gospel, and our lives. Listen to me. It's one, of the thing, it's one thing to hear the gospel, but it's another thing entirely to live it out in front of them. What, what Paul is saying is when we, when we lived among you, we not only told you the good news, we modeled it for you in how we lived it. Seems to me that if, if you're a Christian dad today, that your kids ought to know, know it by the way you live. Amen? In addition, kids need to see in their fathers not, not just an authority figure, but someone whose heart has been touched and changed, who still makes mistakes and has the courage to admit that he's made those mistakes. No one is perfect. That's called transparency. They need that in us. And when they see that in you, they'll learn not only, not, they'll learn not to be so hard on, on themselves and on each other. Let me give you number four. Be diligent. 1 Thessalonians 2.9. You remember, brothers, our, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to... We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. The New Living says it this way. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. Listen to me. We have an absolute responsibility as parents to teach a good work ethic to our kids because oftentimes if our kids don't see a father who is hard worker, who has a good work ethic, they're never going to learn it. They have to see it in us. And so we teach it in two ways. First, we teach by example. Amen? Amen. By, 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 by doing it and letting our children see us doing it. Get, get a job, support your family. 
look at what 1 Timothy 5, 8 says. Do we have that? Read it out loud. One, two, three. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God has given us the responsibility to, to work and to support our children, and, and, and so we show them by, by doing it ourselves. Amen? In other words, get up and get to work. I had a young man come in that a few years ago, we have our transition houses. I found out that he was living in a, his car with his pregnant wife and 11-year-old daughter. And so we took him in our transition home, our church a few years ago, retrofitted a few of those rooms back there to help people get on their feet. And the way it worked is, okay, you get a job, you will, you will pay X amount of money this week, we will put that money away for you so that you can have enough money to get a, an apartment to get on your feet. Well, seven months into this thing, this man had not gotten a job. So I called him in to talk with him. I said, what is going on? He said, well, what do you mean? I said, why is it taking so long to get a job? He said, well, what do you expect me to do? You want me to go to uh, Dunkin' Donuts and put on one of those hats? I expect you to do whatever it takes to feed your family. And so I'm going to give you another month to get a job. He says, well, that's not very Christian of you. I love that answer. I said, let me tell you about my Christianity. My Christianity says this, if a man won't work, neither should he eat. And the man that won't work is to be considered worse than an unbeliever or infidel. This is what's going to happen. If you don't get a job, I'll keep your wife and your children here, and I'll put you out. That's how I feel about it. He, he, found, he finally found a job. Secondly, our children learn by doing. Don't let them just sit around and watch you work, amen? Give them chores. Give them an opportunity to do things and make their own mistakes and to learn from the mistakes they make. Don't be one of those helicopter moms. I know most dads aren't like this. All right, I'm going to talk to your moms right now. <laughs> Where you're constantly doing everything. Teach them to pick up their own toys and clean their own room. My mom taught us to do our own laundry, iron our own clothes. You hungry? There's a fridge. She put food in there. Make yourself a sandwich. Oh, I got to get up and make. And then you make it like, I don't like this meal. What? Make me something else. And you get up and do it? There was one meal at the house. One meal. And we ate it, or we didn't eat it. But guess what? No one ever starved in a day. You cannot eat it. Although we didn't have that op option, we had to eat it. We, we had to eat it. I kept hearing about the starving children in Africa. Make them clean their room. My mom is here, so she can, she can testify. <laughs> okay. 
Give them chores. Teach them a good work ethic. Number five. It's a big one. Be genuinely spiritual. Paul said in verse 10, I mean, uh, verse 10, you are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. You are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Now notice the progression. First of all, he says we preach the gospel of God to you, right? He told him about Jesus. And secondly, he says you are witnesses of how we lived. We live the holy, righteous, and blameless life among you. In other words, our walk and our talk lined up. Our behavior was influenced by what we believed about Jesus. Listen, man. Regardless of what society says, God has commissioned us dads and fathers to be the spiritual leaders in the home. Come on. And if the woman... Or the women are having to do it in your home, it usually means somebody is AWOL and it's not her. Because you're the spiritual leader. When Adam and Eve blow, blew it, the first person God went to was Adam. What did you do? And then he turned around and said, it was the woman you gave me. <laughs> he blamed the woman and he blamed God. Stop the blame game. God's going to hold us responsible. Amen? And you're either going to lead your family closer to God, or you're going to lead them further away from him. For those who come to church and can quote scripture and look real holy on Sunday, but never open your Bible throughout the week, your kids know it. If you pray here on Sunday morning when everyone else is praying but never pray at home, your kids know it. If you never worship God throughout the week, your kids know it. In fact, I've said this before, the do as I say and not as I do doesn't work. Your, your kids will do as you do. In fact, they'll probably take it to, to new lengths. In fact, that's the quickest way to lose your moral authority in your home. That do as I say, not as I do mentality. Are you telling your kids not to drink, to excess, and yet you're pretty much camped out at the local bar all the time? Telling them not to smoke or to do weed, coming up with weed, but you do? One guy told me, he gets drunk all the time. He, he drinks for medicinal purposes. That's what he said, medicinal purposes. I said, okay. Are you saying marriage is important, but you're having an affair? Don't steal what you do. Don't watch certain programming because it's of its sexual content, but you have a stash of porn? Getting quiet in here. That God is important, but are you a walking contradiction? Again, kids are more likely to do what you do, not just what you're saying. And as spiritual leaders, it's our responsibility to show that we're genuine, that our Christianity is, is not just something for Sunday, but something we practice all week. And I'm not talking about being faultless, again, because no one's faultless. But let's just stop being fake. Let me give you number six. 
be encouraging. 1 Thessalonians 2.11. For you know that we dealt with each, with, with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. That's what a father does. He doesn't abdicate or abandon his role. He's not put there just to be putting the kids down. On the contrary, your words have meaning. He encourages, he comforts, he urges his family to live lives worthy of God. He's a positive influence in his family. How many of you know that not every father is a positive influence? But God has called us to be a positive influence. Men, some of you are already dads. Some of you are going to be dads. He's called you to be a positive influence. Listen to this story. It's called Brian's story. He says, I was just 12 years old when my boy scout troop planned a father-son campout. He says, I was thrilled and could hardly wait to rush home and give my father all the information. I, want, I wanted so much to show him all I'd learned in scouting, and I was so proud when he said he'd go with me. The Friday of the campout finally came, and I had all my gear out on the porch ready to stuff it in, the, in his car. The moment he arrived, we were all to meet at the school at 5 p.m. and carpooled to the campground. But dad didn't get home from work until 7 p.m. And I was frantic, but he explained that things had gone wrong at work and told me not to worry. He could still get up first thing in the morning and join the, we could still get up and join the others. After all, we had a map. I was disappointed, of course, but decided to make the best of it. First thing in the morning, I was up and had everything in, in his car while I was still getting light, while it was still getting light all ready for us to catch up with my friends and their fathers at the campground. Dad had said we leave around 7 a.m., and I, I was ready a half hour before that, but he didn't even come out of the room until 9. And when he saw me standing out front with the camping gear, he finally explained that he had a bad back and couldn't sleep on the ground. He hoped I'd understand and, and I'd be a big boy about it. But could I please get my things out of his car because he had several commitments he had to keep and just about the hardest thing I ever done was to go to that car and take my sleeping bag cooking stove, pup tent and supplies out and then while I was putting my stuff away in the storage shed and he thought I couldn't see I watched my father carry his golf clubs out and throw them in his, in his trunk and drive away to keep his commitments his commitments and that's when I realized my dad never meant to go with me to the camp out. I didn't matter to him, but his golfing buddies did. And so dad, I would say to you today that you're more important than you know. Regardless of what the world says, you, you are the captain of your home ship. And everyone on board is influenced and is needed by you. And the only thing God is asking you to do, me to do, 
is to do your part. And if you have any issues as to what your part is, the Bible is full of recommendations as to how you and I can fulfill our role to our family, our children, our wives, our community, our church. Most churches today, if it wasn't for the women, it'd fall apart. Why is that? Because the men are not fulfilling their roles the way they should. God has called us to lead, and he's going to hold us responsible to the extent did we do what we said, did he do what he said, or did we not? And he gives us the perfect example of what a real man looks like. And his name is Jesus. In fact, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's a sacrificial love. Amen? That's someone who, that's someone who loved you to death was willing to lay it all down. Where are those men today? I'm not talking about perfection. No one's perfect. But I want my legacy to be to my, to my children. I don't want my kids t- to stand in that role that I stood in to say, you know, I can't recall my dad ever saying that to me. My kids can never say that. My grandkids will never say that. They're going to hear it, and they're going to, they're going to know that their dad and their grandfather did their best. Not perfectly, because I'm not claiming to be perfect. To live a life that's honoring to God and to point them to Jesus. With as little contradictions as possible. Come on, somebody. That only starts when we give and surrender our lives to Jesus. Jesus said, take up my cross and follow me daily, not just Sundays or Wednesdays. He says, take up your cross and follow me daily. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life, a more and better life. If things are bad, they can always get better. If things are good, they can always improve once we have allowed Jesus to take the rule and reign of our lives. Does that make sense? So while we're here at the end of the service, I'm going to give everyone an opportunity to surrender your lives to Christ. That's where it starts. Again, I'm not talking about perfect. There's only one perfect person ever lived. His name was Jesus. but you're all perfectly loved by him. That's why he gave his life for us. Scripture says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I shared last week, he doesn't say he knocks the door down. He will never force his way in on any one of us. You have to invite him in. You have to surrender and allow the, the, 
the door of your heart to be open to him and to give him free rule and reign in your heart and in your lives. Then you're going to start to desire what he wants for you. Someone said, the Bible says he'll give you the desires of my heart. Well, I want a Lamborghini. No, that's not what that means. It means he will start to write his desires in your heart. You will start to want what he wants. And he wants us to be good husbands and fathers, good wives and mothers, good families and friends. Just do our part. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And say something like this. If this is you, say, Heavenly Father, I humble myself today. I acknowledge that I have fallen short in many areas. Forgive me. I recognize you as the father, like the father of the prodigal son. I'm coming home. And I know that your arms are open and that you will accept me. By faith, I run to you. I thank you for sending your son to die on the cross. Not for his sins, but for my sins. And three days later to rise again. And because he lives, I will live as well. Take up residence in my life, in my heart. Help me from this day forward to live a life that's honoring you. Help me to be the man or the woman, the person of God that you call me to be. For such a time as now. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.